Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Thank Your Pain podcast. Uh, Elise here, your host with Michael. He is the creator of the Fight Toxic Masculinity Instagram account, which is where I found him. It's an account that displays all of these really good-natured lessons about men and the masculine mentality, but through meme form. So it has a bit of humor, it has a lot of good lessons. Um, and I wanted to get to know the man behind the account, a little bit of his story, and ask some deeper questions on just how to fight toxic masculinity. So welcome, Michael. I appreciate you being here. And, um, you know, I know that you had a little bit of, a, of an intro of, of why you started the account. And I would just, first off, love to know a little bit about that and, and how you got started. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for having me. It's really nice to be here. Uh, how did I start the account? You know, you know when it's like something so big, but you forget? You're like, you know, this is like a big thing in my life, but I forgot. Um, how did I start it? I started it, I remember where, I was in Starbucks <laughs> when I started okay, classic. it. classic. I was drinking hot chocolate sitting in the corner. And I just thought to myself, I had no job at that time. I was unemployed. And I was like, man, I, I need something to do. You know, I need something to do just to pass the time until I find a job to keep me like motivated to wake up and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? I want to start an Instagram account on masculinity because it was something I was talking a lot about with my therapist. Uh, we were talking for, I don't know how many months about like everything that I was saying in therapy. She was like, yeah, you know what? I, I don't think a lot of men have talked about this. You know, I talked about things like, I was like, oh, I really like being the little spoon and I really like doing face masks and I really like, I don't know, um, like I went home and I watched this TV show and I cried and it felt really, really good. And she's like, yeah, this is all amazing and healthy. And I was like, yeah, it's true. I've never heard a lot of men talk about it. So I was like, you know what? I'll just make one post on this new Instagram account that I'll create and I'll see how, how it goes. So I made my first one in Starbucks and then I was like, you know what? If I ever get to 11 followers, I will lose my mind. <laughs> And then I hit 11, like in the first week, and then it grew and grew and grew. And now I'm here doing a podcast. So that's pretty much the short version. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you actually started talking about this stuff with your therapist. And this took a different turn than I thought it was going to. You started talking about the fact that, you know, you like to do face masks and you like to cry at, you know, heart-wrenching movies. And that's, those are things that are like, oh, that's what chicks do. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, girls cry at movies. So mm -hmm. what, um, what, what, how did you even start like using a face mask and how did it feel when you started to like, you know, dive into those things and be like, actually, I, I really like this stuff. Yeah. So I always liked that stuff since I was a kid. Okay. I don't know why it's not like some, someone taught me it or whatever, but like when I, it was Friday night after school, I would go home and be like, oh, I can't wait to shower. I can't wait to get in like my comfy hoodie and sit down and like watch friends on TV and eat gummy bears. That was like my number one self-care <laughs> thing to do. Okay. I always liked um, talking about my feelings. I always liked um, being vulnerable and open and sensitive. It's just, I always felt ashamed also because I was a man and I was taught that as a man, I shouldn't like those things. I was taught that like, oh, you would rather do this, do this, than go hit on girls. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I would much rather like sit at home, like eating gummy bears than like go to a bar. Yeah, you know, and things like that. So for a very long time, I kind of either I hid it from people 
I like I would go and do those things, but I wouldn't talk about them ever. It was like my biggest shame. Or um, eventually when I was around 18, 19 and I started university, 20 years old, I think. Yeah, I started university and I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to do them anymore. I'm going to do like manly stuff. I'm not going to talk about my feelings and this and this. And then it felt terrible. It felt absolutely horrible. So when I went to therapy and I didn't want to feel horrible anymore, obviously the first thing was to like reconnect with what made me feel better, what made me feel good and self-cared for and loved. And then, yeah, so that's how I started redoing all those things. Okay. And so as you're doing these things, like what brought about the shame? Was it your um, close circle, like your parents? Was that kind of like part of it? Or was it just the general stigma? Like what made you feel shamed for doing these things? Mm, Yeah, various of things. My parents definitely played a role in it. I grew up, my parents were very, I'm trying to find the right, the right word to describe it. They were very, it was all rough, tough love, tough, tough, tough. Everything was tough. And I did not respond well. I still do not respond well to tough love. When someone's like, yeah, well, I'm doing this because I care for you. And they're yelling. I'm like, I don't feel cared for. So everything was tough. And then on top of that, my dad was very, he still is like very, very ingrained in the ideals of toxic masculinity. For example, he's in his 60s now, and I've never seen him cry. I've never seen him talk about his emotions. I've never seen him display any emotion apart from anger. Um, You know, I can go on and on. But yeah, so my parents played a role in kind of creating an atmosphere of what was okay at home and what wasn't. So what was okay was like me playing sports. They were more than happy to take me to like sports games on Sundays at like 7 a.m., they were more than happy to take me to sleepovers, like with my friends, all that kind of stuff. But when it came to like wanting therapy or I don't know, like wanting to do like less masculine, traditionally masculine things, it was always kind of like frowned upon. And like I got yelled at the first time I got shamed, I was hmm, like seven, eight years old and I was crying. And my dad was like, he like flipped out. Like he usually never gets overly angry, but that was the first time he got super angry. He was like, don't cry. Like, don't you ever cry. Like if you cry, I'll give you something to cry about. So things like that really started like, I was like, oh man, you know what? I don't want this hassle. So I'm just going to keep it to myself kind of thing. And then the environment in my school played a big role. For a long time in my school, it was very like, the people I knew in my life were very toxic masculinity. Uh, I mean, they, none of us knew better, you know, we were children, but, um, yeah. Well, so we only display like, what our parents teach us, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Can I just ask at this point in, in time in your life, because mm-hmm. before we started the podcast, we talked about how, mm-hmm. you know, you moved around a lot, you grew up in all these mm-hmm. different places. So at this mm-hmm. time in your life, what, um, culture were, were you integrated with? Yeah. So when I was a kid, so I was born in Indonesia. And then when I was like one years old, I moved to Malaysia. And I lived in Malaysia from one years old up until 20 years old. So all my like school, like high school life was in Malaysia in a British international school. So it was like a lot of cultures coalescing. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the culture I was in was very, it was very, I don't know how to explain it. It was very contra, contradicting sometimes, you know, because you'll have like, 
Africans in our school, like African men in our school who are like very open with their emotions. And then you have like Arab guys in our school who are like super like making fun of anyone who talked about their emotions. And then you had like our teachers were from all over the place. It was a very, very difficult place to grasp just one concept. Okay. So almost like socially confused about how we were supposed to act. Cause as we're growing up, we try to fit in, we try to make friends. Mm -hmm. And if, if you don't know exactly how you're supposed to blend in, that mm. can also be just so confusing. So yeah, I can see yeah. how at that point, you know, when, sorry to like kind of interrupt your story, mm. but when you had said, you know, you were crying and your dad yelled at you and your response was to basically shut down that part mm -hmm. of yourself, we have that response because we feel I'm not safe. When I, mm -hmm. when I do this mm -hmm. reaction, I'm not safe. And just for everybody listening, what that translates to as adults is we don't share how we truly feel in relationships. We aren't able to fully connect to people in relationships and to people around us mm -hmm. because we are denying a piece of, it's a natural part of being human is to release those emotions because that's all crying is, is it's an, mm -hmm. exp as an expense of that energy. So that mm -hmm. translating then also into a school environment where you spend most of your day and you don't know how you're supposed to act, it can just further cause that shutdown and that dissociation. So I'm just curious to see where mm -hmm. that led for you as you continue to grow up in that environment. Well, yeah, like what you said was exactly what I was going to say. So that happened when I was a kid and I didn't, I didn't really, as like, as a lot of people who live in traumatic environments will always say, they're like, oh, I thought this was normal. Like I thought that was normal. I didn't think it was strange. I didn't think it was traumatic. I never thought it was traumatizing. I thought it was like, oh, this is just what my life is. And then, uh, yeah, lo and behold, the what's the right word to use? The side effects, I don't know, the, the problems associated with living that way start to show up when I was in my 20s. And I started to date someone. And then I was the epitome of toxic masculinity. I was aggressive. I was rude. I was, I never talked about my feelings. I was gaslighting. I was, uh, I don't know, any, any negative verb <laughs> you can probably find. I, I probably did. And uh, I didn't know why I didn't like being that way. I never, I was never like happy being that way. I was never, I never went to sleep being like, yeah, good job today. You know, actually it was the opposite. I always went to sleep being like, God, why were you like this? Like, Right. Tomorrow, so it gets into like a self-loathing cycle because yeah. then also you, yeah. because then you're thinking, how do I fix this? And because you can't fix it, you mm -hmm. get even angrier because anger mm -hmm. for men is also one of the only emotions that's acceptable. What are, what are the yeah. things that we agree that men should do? Oh, play sports, tackle them down mm -hmm. in football, mm -hmm. you know, play that <laughs> hockey, like kill them. You know, we, mm -hmm. we don't even realize how much we, um, you know, domesticate men to be aggressive. And then we're like, mm -hmm. teach men to be this way. But it starts in childhood. How are you going to mm -hmm. tell him to just kill that other guy, kill that other guy? And then yeah. be like, why doesn't he understand when he's yeah. 25 years old? Yeah, that's... Because he learned to shut that emotion off because you told him not to cry anymore. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I have a tattoo on my leg um, of the number 12. And it's, a, it's from a quote that says, how do you stop a 25-year-old man from being abusive? as you talk to him when he's 12 years old. And that's like what, what my journey was really like. And 
I, I always say like I showed love the way I was showed love, which wasn't healthy <laughs> in any stretch of the imagination. It wasn't remotely healthy. And I didn't know, I legitimately didn't know what to do. I was like, I hate being this way. I hate that like my girlfriend was crying every single day. There wasn't, we dated for two and a half years and there wasn't a single day where like, I wasn't angry and she wasn't crying. It was horrible. It was horrible for her way more than it was for me, but it was still, it really sucks for me too. And um, I genuinely didn't know what to do. Like I, I, I said, like, just take a deep breath next time, you know, and then that will solve all your problems or like you guys need to cuddle more and that will solve all your problems. But the real solution was to kind of look at the real culprit, which was myself. Uh, so that's how I started going to therapy was one day I was at home uh, playing video games, playing NBA. I don't know why I remember that so well, but yeah, I was playing NBA on my PlayStation <laughs> and um, I got like a huge, huge like hit in the gut, like a big gut feeling, which I never had before. Uh, that was, she had like a blog, an online blog. And I was like, I think you need to check her blog. I was like, why? And I was like, and then my inner voice was like, just trust me on this. You need to check the blog right now. And I was like, okay, fine. So I like went on my phone and I checked it. And it was basically, I think, her in therapy realizing how I was the toxic person and like her coming to terms with it. And when I read it, it hit me like a thousand trucks. I like, I was on the couch, thankfully. And I was like, holy crap, like, yeah. And it was like all this, what toxic masculinity does is kind of creates a false sense of reality sometimes. Because I was so used to being like, she's the problem my dad's the problem my mom's the problem the university's the problem uh the guy who delivered my food late he was the problem i'm not the problem i'm i'm perfect it's everyone else that's the problem and then when i read that it was like all of it blew up and shattered and i was like oh no i am the problem and i was like oh crap oh crap and i panicked and i cried and i freaked out and i sat down and I was like, okay, okay, okay. Like there's only two solutions here because like I was studying sociology at the time. I was like, okay, there's only two solutions. One is you keep doing this. And in the next relationship, God forbid, like it's going to get a thousand times worse. And you, you're going to get a thousand times worse for yourself. And the second was a quote I had in my head, which was, you cannot hate yourself into a version you will love. And I was like, you know what? Like the only way we're going to fix this is you need to get help. So the next day, it was, I think, a Wednesday, like Wednesday night, uh, Thursday morning, I started therapy and I walked into my therapist's office. <laughs> She's like this super wholesome lady, just like always smiling. Uh, I sat down. I was like, she's like, so like, why are you here? What can I help you with? And I was like, I think I'm a toxic person. And she was like, okay. <laughs> she just smiled and we got to work. And then th this was like four or five years ago. And now, yeah, now I try and fight toxic masculinity, which is why the page is called Fight Toxic Masculinity. That was a really powerful story. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, no problem. And yeah, I mean, it was, it's really powerful. And I, I want to go back to the point where you said sometimes toxic masculinity can create a false reality that our parents are the problem, our spouse is the problem. You know, anybody but us, because mm -hmm. we are doing exactly everything we were taught to do, right? 
-hmm. That's the toxic cycle. I've talked with a lot of men who disagree with the notion of toxic masculinity because they're like, we don't need to make men weaker. We don't need, you know, all men are becoming sissy boys Mm -hmm. and they won't Mm -hmm. fight in the wars and and all all this stuff. But that is the point that we're trying to get across with toxic masculinity is the fact that you have those thoughts in your head that you're not allowed to cry that you're not allowed to do something else other than like risk your life on the front lines. And the fact Mm -hmm. that you don't think that women can do the same, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not a man's job to protect a woman anymore. We don't live Mm -hmm. in the era of, you know, the cavemen. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're not denying any biological things about how men are naturally stronger and everything like that. Mm -hmm. That's like, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously a masculine trait by genetics, but the fact Mm -hmm. that you would just say to yourself, I can only be certain things is so limiting to your human experience. Yeah. And, uh, and I also want to go back to the part where you, you know, you were playing video games uh, Mm. because there's been a pattern that I've noticed of distractions where we, Mm -hmm. we tend to avoid what we don't like about ourselves or our lives. Mm -hmm. And I've found so you can disagree with me if you found mm-hmm. this not to be true, is that men use video games a lot. And I've noticed mm-hmm. like, because you'll start playing more and more and more that mm-hmm. people will be like, oh, he plays video games too much or he has an addiction, oh, yeah. but they never look beyond that. They just try to eliminate the problem without actually solving it. Mm-hmm. And I think that this could be really good for you know parents or mm-hmm. spouses to take a look, like look at the habits of your spouse. Mm-hmm. You know, are they doing mm-hmm. something more in excess? Like, are they working out at the gym like six hours more a day than before? Are they playing mm-hmm. video games a lot more than before? And mm-hmm. are you feeling like a negative energy? Because I've seen that, that that's a direction to like maybe a low level depression, maybe like a mm-hmm. not feeling a sense of purpose. Yeah, so, no, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And um, yeah, it's, it's a big, it was a big issue for me because the only thing I couldn't do was live in reality. That was my biggest problem was I was like any, any, maybe more than 10 minutes of me living in any kind of reality for me was painful because for me, my reality was rooted in shame and aggression and pain, just mental pain. Like there's not a specific kind of pain, just mentally in pain and this and this. And I did whatever possible to not be in reality, which is why I would, I would often just like, if I was feeling bad, my first reaction was either to go play video games, watch porn, um, call my girlfriend and start a fight, which who I am now, it sounds insane to me to say that, but that's who I was back then. Um, watch movies after movies, after movie, after movie, after series, after series, uh, eat, like eat, uh, order like five times the amount of McDonald's I would usually eat and just eat it all, anything, take drugs, drink, whatever, anything to, I should have probably started with take drugs because that's more important than order McDonald's, but, um, no, but yeah, they're anything. all, they're all in the same bucket, you know, it's yeah, like any yeah. kind of, I love how you said, I would use anything as an escape. I w- didn't want to yeah. live in reality and just diving into this mentality because you're in mm-hmm. this relationship with your girlfriend. It's really mm-hmm. toxic. You, you've started mm-hmm. to realize at this point, but you escape reality. So now that you're at where you're at, Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, what happened with that relationship? Let's finish the story. Then we'll go back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we, we broke up. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Sorry. So I should have said, um, when I found out uh, about her, about her blog was after we broke up. 
So we were dating, we dated for two and a half years. We met online. We dated for two and a half years. She lived in New York and I lived in Montreal, which is like an hour plane away. So we saw each other a lot. We saw each other like once every month or twice a month sometimes. So it wasn't, it wasn't like very, very hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, we dated for two and a half years. And when I tell you every single fight we had was me blaming her. It was like that for two and a half years. I never took responsibility for a single thing I did. Uh, at the end, I think I told her like, this is so one-sided, like I'm doing all the work. You're not doing anything. I think it's time for us to like, I was like delirious. Um, it's time for us to break up. And I was like, just like, and you know, we finally came to like an agreement that we should break up and we broke up. And then I don't know what year this was, but then, yeah, like a few months later is when I found out about the blog and then I read it and she was like, wait, actually, like he did this, he did this. And the first thing she posted about was, hmm. oh yeah, it was her. She's like, I cooked Thanksgiving dinner for the first time in like a few years. And Michael never let me cook. He never let me do anything. And like now this is like the first sense of like relief I felt was me cooking Thanksgiving dinner. And I read it. And I don't know, for whatever reason, it was the first time that I was like not defensive. Like I read it and I was like, oh, oh, snap. Holy crap, I was kind of mean to her, you know, and then it all kind of that whole mirror of illusion shattered. And then, yeah, so then, and then I never spoke to her again, firstly, because actually, no, that's not true. I sent her a long letter. Yeah, yeah, I sent her a long letter. taking responsibility for what I did. Uh, I was like, look, it's my fault. I, I was the toxic one, not you. I was perpetuating like toxic masculinity. I was perpetuating like just shady behaviors that I was given and I put it onto you. It's not your fault. I'm very sorry. I hope like, you know, I hope you're okay and blah, blah, blah. And then she had left like some clothes in my house. So I donated them to a woman's, like a woman's uh, shelter. And I wrote them a letter to it being like, I think a lot of women in here have dealt with men like me. And I just want you to know, like, I'm really sorry. And I hope like you take this small token as like a sign that some people can get better. And I'm very sorry. And then I started therapy and yeah. And then therapy. And then now here we are five plus years later. That's amazing. Just to be able to go through that journey and actually realize where you know, we messed up or, or made a mistake. Mm-hmm. It's and the power isn't in saying like, you know, it's, it's not like I want people to differentiate between taking responsibility and then the shame and guilt cycle of like, you know, because if we have a cloud over our eyes and we can't see properly, mm-hmm. you know, th- mm-hmm. there's a point where it's like, you can only blame yourself so much because you grew up in that environment, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you didn't know mm-hmm. how to love any other way. And that's the thing about Mm. being a parent and being a child of a dysfunctional family, you have Mm. to wake up and realize you are doing every day your own choices as an adult, you know, and then questioning those, is this actually right? Mm. Is this benefiting me? Is this benefiting the people around me? And do Mm -hmm. I want my children to feel the same way? Because Mm -hmm. children don't listen to what we say. They become who we are. So if you constantly saw your parents fighting, oh, that's how love is supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's just what, what happens, right? So that's what you yeah. saw. That's what you did. Never thought anything was wrong because you just played out 
exactly mm-hmm. what you thought life was supposed to be like. And then you had the reality mm-hmm. kick, which is amazing that you actually got that opportunity because now you're into yeah. this whole new life, essentially. I'm sure you had mm-hmm. to unlearn and relearn so many things. Um, and that being said, you know, anybody who's listening right now who may, might be in this toxic relationship, can you give mm-hmm. some advice for um, maybe this, maybe at first the partner or the spouse, like, is there anything mm-hmm. that she could have said to you or done mm-hmm. um, in that relationship to help you awaken? Or do you think it just had to be what it was? Uh, yeah. So in terms of saying uh, what might be helpful to people in toxic relationships, I will say to anyone in a toxic relationship, if you're the toxic person or you're the person who's being talk, like what's the phrase? You're the person being toxic, like the toxicity is being placed on you. I don't know. The, the, the victim and the, the aggressor, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The recipient or the, the starter, whatever you want to call it. Um, everyone needs to hear this, that you deserve better, that you deserve infinitely better than what a toxic relationship brings to your life you deserve so much better and the first thing i would say is for anyone in a toxic relationship no matter what your role is in it is i will say it again you cannot hate yourself into a version you will love you cannot heal yourself because that's what i did my whole life until therapy was when something was wrong i stared in the mirror i yelled at myself i insulted myself um i would restrict things i liked I was like, you know what? You were rude to like your girlfriend today. You're not going to play video games today. Like that's what you get, idiot. You know, like I was really mean to myself and nothing good came. It just got worse and worse. So yeah, to be kind to yourself, to work on yourself. If you're the, if you're in a toxic, if you're in a relationship with someone toxic, my first reaction would be to go get help, go to therapy, talk about it with someone that you trust to uh, read about it to whatever to know also that you're not crazy because as an as an abusive person what i did what i was very good at doing sadly was i made them feel crazy you know like it would be something that was overtly my fault in the space of 10 minutes they were like oh you're right i'm so sorry i'm so so sorry i never thought about that way i'm so sorry i'll do better for you you know so like it was a lot of to stay rooted in reality is super important, I think, to, to have firm boundaries, I think, is the epitome of a good relationship, is to have very good and healthy communication boundaries. I would say now, that's the thing I practice with everyone in my life, like the mailman, uh, my parents, myself, my friends, everyone in my life, I communicate as, as, as well as I can, as honestly as I can, and I always set boundaries. And it helps everyone, everyone in my life. It's gotten better for me, for everyone. It's been like awesome. Like with my friends now, we're always like, we're so good at boundaries, you know, like we're always like happy about it. So yeah, that's my advice. And if she could, I don't think she could have said, she could have said anything, sadly. You know, she didn't do it. It's not like she was a terrible partner. She was an amazing partner. It's just, I think it had to happen for both of us, sadly. You know, it was something that, it was something I had to go through to realize to never, ever, ever do something like that again and to live a life like I actually wanted in the first place, which was the exact opposite of what I was, which was like, I always wanted to be vulnerable and open. And like, when she asked me about my day, I was like, tell her, man, just tell her, you know, like, 
you're sad that you failed a midterm and tell her that like um you miss her and tell her you know but instead of that coming out of my mouth what came out of my mouth was anger and i was like in my head i was like she'll understand she'll know if i'm angry she'll know what i'm actually trying to say <laughs> which is not true because no one who is going to understand that right right and what you said also about you know i think we both needed it like no one deserves or quote unquote needs to go through um, abusive relationships or dysfunctional mm -hmm. families. But when we're saying that, you know, in that context, both of you learned very, very powerful lessons. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure for her too, like we look back on these things and we realize because we went through them, oh, I'm never going to do that again because I know mm -hmm. I've gone through my stints of toxic relationships. And what I have to take responsibility in that is a, I was also perpetuating the toxicity because mm -hmm. they would make me react and then I would be toxic. So it was like <laughs> yeah, a yeah. toxic cycle, you know, mm -hmm. there's never just one person, right? Because if, because it made me realize like, I didn't know what boundaries were. I didn't have clear set values. I didn't have mm -hmm. these things. So I was also, you know, I also needed that because if I did have clear boundaries, I wouldn't have been a match for that person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We find the people we are matches for. So I would mm -hmm. also say if you're in a toxic relationship, you have to take a look at yourself. We can never mm -hmm. solve another person. We have to take a look at ourselves. Mm -hmm. What can I do for me? Mm -hmm. Am I missing boundaries? Am I missing values? And if this person doesn't align with my boundaries or values, what is enticing me to stay? Like mm -hmm. what, what hole are they filling for me? What void are they filling mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. that I need to solve? And sometimes mm -hmm. you can't do that with the other person because maybe they're not willing to do the work. And I know that a lot of people really, really hit this hard place when they have toxic parents. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to go circling through too, back yeah. to that. I wanted to say, how did that, um, you know, the relationship with your parents, how did it go for that? It all happened in the space of like two weeks <laughs> I was in therapy and I was, I, as a kid, something I was always very proud of which I'm still kind of proud of now, to be honest. Um, I was also, I was always very loyal. You know, like the expression, uh, what is it in English? R ride or die? Okay. Yeah, I was like a ride or die person. I was like, whatever you need, I'm here 24 hours a day. Like you call me at 2 a.m. to get on a plane, I will do it. I was always like super there for people, you know? So I always had a hard time letting people go. And like, you know, I thought I was like, oh, if I put boundaries, they meant I was giving up on people or like, being selfish and then one day my therapist was like um she didn't talk a lot I talked like most of the time in therapy <laughs> but when she did talk it was always profound and she's like you know what Michael if you have to choose between doing something for yourself that feels good and makes you feel guilty or something for others that makes you feel terrible choose guilt every single time and I was like holy moly <laughs> like what it blew my mind uh yeah so and then i started to like set boundaries and then once with my parents we were talking it was like the period of of time in therapy where i start to realize what my parents what my parents actions were doing to me mm -hmm. i was like wow you know like being raised this way it kind of messed me up and i always thought it was my fault up until then i was like i was an ugly child or i was a stupid child or i was and it's my fault like they reacted that way because i'm defective and i'm wrong and i'm a burden and i like i shouldn't have been loved that's why they didn't love me it's not because they were like 
it never occurred to me that they were like maybe traumatized themselves and then they put it onto me. I never thought about that. So it was a time in therapy where I was unlearning all of this and relearning what actually was going on. And so I called my, my parents. So I was in Montreal, they were in Malaysia. I was like, look, I have like, I just have a few questions. I want to really talk to you. Please just, you know, tell me honestly. I was like really calm. So we talked a bit and um, yeah, they were like, yeah, you know, we did this. Yeah. Well, like, I'm sorry. You know, it was very like surface level. And then a few months later they called me, it was Christmas time. And they're like, Hey, like, why don't you come spend Christmas with us? Like in Malaysia, you know, like we'll get you your flight and everything. Just come back. And it was the time in therapy where I was like learning to be honest because I was always, you know, not living reality. And I was like, you know what? Speak the truth. I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to. It was like the first boundary <laughs> I ever said. And they were like, what? What did you just say? I was like, I, I don't want to come spend Christmas with you guys. And they're like, wait, why? And I was like, and I was trying to find like a An good excuse? way of saying it. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Just tell the truth again. So I was like, you know what? I'm hurt by what happened to me as a kid. Like the environment I was, I grew up in, you guys did some like not nice stuff to me. I'm trying to deal with that. Like, I don't feel comfortable seeing you guys right now. And it was like the first boundary I set. And I felt guilty, just like my therapist said. And then I felt incredible. <laughs> and I was like, oh man. And, and then like that Christmas was like an awesome Christmas because I was like doing something that made me feel happy. And, you know, and uh, yeah, <laughs> so they were shocked, obviously. And then I had to set more and more. I still have to set boundaries now, like every single day with them. But um. Yeah, I don't know if that answers the question or not. Does that was that what you were looking for? Well, what was so so they are still interacting with you though. You know, like do you still feel yeah. supported by them or or is the kind of like sacrifice that happened in the relationship mm -hmm. worth it because now it's actually an honest relationship and it's better mm -hmm. for you? Because I know that some parents they are so wrapped up in, you know, the mm -hmm. dysfunction that they had that they are, mm -hmm. you know, forever just that person. They will never yeah. change, yeah. you know, and sometimes, yeah. you know, like, no matter what we do, they're, they're not going to listen. So it's almost yeah. better to cut that relationship off completely. Yeah. Um, so I, I exactly what you said. So for me, it was like, we had a conversation. I can't remember too much of what they said, but I was like, it hit me what they said. I was like, okay, you know what? They're not going to change. They don't get it. They don't get it to the point where I get it. Um, and, you know, instead of like being wrapped up and like furious about it all the time, let it go. So I like put that boundary up. I was like, you know what? With my mom, especially, she was very like neglectful to me as a child. So I set the boundary. I was like, you know what? Like you did some like horrible stuff as a kid. Like, and if we can't even talk about it, if we can't even have that kind of conversation, where you're listening to me about like what I'm saying, then I don't want to be in your life. And she didn't really get it or whatever, but what was important to me was that I got it, was that I set a boundary that I understood and that made me sleep better. And it sounds maybe kind of sad, but I've slept better every single day since I've set those kind of boundaries with people. It was unbelievably painful, but I've never lost sleep. It, when I lost sleep was when I didn't set boundaries and I was like up all night, like with nausea and like stomach pain, trying to figure out what to do. Um, now because of COVID, I had, to, I moved in with them because, you know, like, uh, everything has gone, gone to hell. So I, like, I moved to France to move in with them, uh, which is, it was very difficult, but 
before I even stepped foot into the house, I was I was very thankful because like I have the best coping strategies now. I have good healthy coping strategies. I have good communication skills, and it doesn't matter what they think. So to me, um, I'm not saying this is what everyone should do, or whatever. But to me, it doesn't matter what they think because I know I can't change their opinions. I know it's not. There's a lot of people in my life where I can sit down and have a conversation, and we'll hear each other out. But with my parents, it's not like that. And so now I'm like, okay, you know what? Like these are the boundaries I have to set. And I set them and sometimes they're happy with it. Sometimes they're not, but it doesn't matter because to me, I'm okay. And I can live in an environment now, which isn't worrying to me. It's not toxic. It's not um, uh, like you don't feel like you're in survival mode every single second of every day. I'm very okay. I'm very happy. I do my thing. I eat food and watch TV and, you know, run my Instagram account and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, so definitely letting knowing i always say to people because every sunday people send in questions on my instagram page and a lot of them have to do with stuff like that and i always say like sometimes you need to know when to let go sometimes there there's fights worth having and sometimes there's a fight that's not worth having i love that because so so many things are wrapped up in what you just said that Boundaries are not for other people, as we may think. They're not mm -hmm. for our parents. They're not for our spouses. They're for us. And if mm -hmm. they don't follow them, that's not that's not their job, actually, to follow boundaries. It's our mm -hmm. job to maintain the consequences that the boundaries have set. It's mm -hmm. our job to learn the tools to cope with things. If we want to maintain a relationship, it, you know, provide mm -hmm. yourself the opportunity to get therapy, to get coaching, to, to heal those things within you. Um, because even if it sacrifices what the relationship was, mm -hmm. it gives it opportunity to become something new. And at least mm -hmm. it gives you the ability to sleep at night. Yeah. And, you know, whether you, you know, like facing that is just like, your life is so much different now and so much beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's not what it was, mm -hmm. but I'm guessing for you, it's just so much better. You feel, yeah. you don't even, you used, you said you used to have stomach pains and everything as well. And that's mm -hmm. what I say also is like, unmet emotional needs will crop up as physical ailments oh yeah Big that's time. why so many people have stomach issues and stuff now because we're just keeping everything inside if we don't mm -hmm. let it go we just keep it inside it will mm -hmm. rot us from the inside out yeah yeah when i was in in my toxic relationship i was nauseous every day i went to see doctors i was like i think i'm dying i have cancer or something they're like no we, we, everything's fine we don't know why you're nauseous and then as soon as i started therapy that nausea went away and it's not, it's never come back. Amazing. I was like, I had, I had like in my wallet, I had anti-nausea pills to walk around with because that's how nauseous I got. Oh my Cause I was just so like, it was just all the time, all the time. I couldn't eat well. I couldn't do anything well. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. And I didn't know it was a thing. And my therapist was like, she said exactly what you said. Like, if you don't deal with it in your brain, your brain will be like, fine, we'll put it in your body for you to deal with. And that's exactly what happened. Yep. So that's wild. So, wow, Michael, thank you so much for your time today. I, I really yeah, appreciate it. You. I don't <laughs> want to keep running it out, but wow, this was such a powerful conversation. And, you know, just as like a last, a last parting gift from, from you to us and everybody listening to, mm -hmm. to the men out there, um, mm -hmm. you know, is there anything that you would say to just men about toxic masculinity or, or about, you know, where they're at oh, in their lives. Hell and... yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I got stuff to say. Um, yeah. Apart from like giving a long speech, I'll make mm -hmm. it sweet, sweet and short and sweet. This is um, your Oscar moment. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my acceptance. Um, you deserve better than toxic masculinity. For any man listening, so fighting toxic masculinity doesn't mean shaming men who go to the gym. It doesn't mean shaming men who have a beard or shaming men who sleep around or who like to drive fast. It doesn't mean that. It means anything that you do as a man, that you, you force yourself not to do as a man because you think that's what makes you unmanly, that's what toxic masculinity is. So for me, I love crying. It feels good. It feels awesome. I like being vulnerable. I like being open. But I have best friends who don't like doing that. And, but they're not toxic men. They like doing what they like doing. So, yeah, that you deserve better. And that, to- like, before you are a man, you are a human first. And there are so many needs that a human has that toxic masculinity doesn't let you have. Like connection and empathy and vulnerability. Um, love like gen to be genuinely loved to genuinely love others openness uh hugs hugs is a human need i will like i've never seen this written down but i will definitely say it's a human need to be touched it um, is a human need to be touched that that is yeah. written down you oh, okay it. well then there you go yeah <laughs> um yeah so you are a human before you are a man and if you're doing things that that neglect the human part you'll never be happy and you deserve to be happy any guy any person listening to this Please, man, please, please just do what makes you happy. Yeah, that's all. I'll, I'll end it on that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Michael. That's so beautiful. Yeah, thank and you. As I always say, you know, a good life is waiting for you. You know, all mm-hmm. you have to do is just act on it. So um, mm-hmm. thank you, everyone, for watching, and I'll see you next time.